that shamelessly displayed springs. On the floor were magic mirrors, one to draw you out long and thin, one to swell your head and vanish your legs, and one to make you short and fat like a draught. And while we were laughing at these, the shopman, as I suppose, came in. At any rate, there he was behind the counter, a curious, sallow, dark man, with one ear larger than the other, and a chin like the toe-cap of a boot. What can we have the pleasure? he said, spreading his long magic fingers on the glass case. And so, with a start, we were aware of him. I want, I said, to buy my little boy a few sample tricks. Ledger domain? he asked. Mechanical? Domestic? Anything amusing? said I. Hmm, said the shopman, and scratched his head for a moment, as if thinking. Then quite distinctly, he drew from his head a glass ball. Something in this way, he said, and held it out. The action was unexpected. I'd seen the trick done at entertainments, endless times before. It's part of the common stock of conjurers, but I had not expected it here. That's good, I said with a laugh. Isn't it? said the shopman. Gip stretched out his disengaged hand to take this object, and found merely a blank palm. It's in your pocket, said the shopman, and there it was. How much will that be? I asked. And we make no charge for glass balls, said the shopman politely. We get them. He picked one out of his elbow as he spoke. A free. He produced another from the back of his neck, and laid it beside its predecessor on the counter. Gip regarded his glass, but sagely, then directed a look of inquiry at the two on the counter, and finally brought his round-eyed scrutiny to the shopman, who smiled. You may have those two, said the shopman, and if you don't mind, one from my mouth. So, Gip counselled me mutely for a moment, and then in a profound silence put away the four balls resumed my reassuring finger, and nerved himself for the next event. You get all smaller tricks in that way, the shopman remarked. I laughed in the manner of one who subscribes to a jest. Instead of going to a wholesale shop, I said, of course it's cheaper. Well, in a way, the shopman said, though we pay in the end, you know, but not so heavily as people suppose. Our larger tricks... And our daily provisions, and all the other things we want, we get out of that hat. And you know, sir, if you'll excuse my saying it, there isn't a wholesale shop. Not for genuine magic goods, sir. I don't know whether you noticed our subscription, the genuine magic shop. He drew a business card from his cheek and handed it to me. Genuine, he said, his finger on the word, and added... There is absolutely no deception, sir. He seemed to be carrying out the joke pretty thoroughly, I thought. He turned to Gip with a smile of remarkable affability. You, you know, are the right sort of boy. I was surprised at his knowing that, because in the interests of discipline, we keep it rather a secret, even at home. But Gip received it in unflinching silence, keeping a steadfast eye on the shopman. Oh, it's only the right sort of boy that gets through that doorway. And as if by illustration, there came a rattling at the door, 
and a squeaking little voice could be faintly heard. Naya, I want to go in there, Danny. I want to go in there. Naya. And then the accents of a downtrodden parent urging consolations and propitiations. It's locked, Edward, he said. But it isn't, said I. Oh, it is, sir, said the shopman. Always for that sort of child. And as he spoke, we had a glimpse of the other youngster, a little white face, pallid from sweet-eating and over-sapid food, and distorted by evil passions, a ruthless little egotist, pawing at the enchanted pane. It's no good, sir, said the shopman, as I move with my natural helpfulness doorward, and presently the small child was carried off howling. Well, how do you manage that? I said, breathing a little more freely. The magic, sir, said the shopman, with a careless wave of the hand. And behold, sparks of coloured...